Earlier this year, I was chatting with someone who had just been hired to convene an entrepreneurial ecosystem. From the outside, it looked pretty mature. They had all the right institutions, they had all the right programs, a digital map, co-working spaces, an active angel network, and an active entrepreneurial community overall. When he got there, however, it became clear that while all the stakeholders who'd hired him and supported this ecosystem initiative all wanted to see entrepreneurs in their community thrive, each one of them had a vastly different idea of what that journey should look like. It turns out if you have 25 people in the room, you get 25 different approaches to doing the work. When I facilitated a session with that group, I encountered some blank stares as well as eye rolls, and on the other side of the room, some heads nodding with enthusiasm. The tension in the room made my hands sweat. Some of the participants came at it from an economic development perspective, others from a university background, and yet others from a pure community-building, entrepreneurs-first approach. It felt as though everyone was trying to defend their territory, even though, in principle, they all wanted the same thing. Is this uncommon when diverse stakeholders come together? No. Does this type of tension or, dare I say, conflict risk breaking apart an ecosystem and stalling all progress? Hell yes. Suffice to say, I was glad when I stepped back out into the street and was able to walk away from that stalemate. And with that, welcome to Season 4 of Ecosystems for Change. Welcome to Ecosystems for Change, where we co-author the playbook on transforming communities by amplifying the impact of changemakers around us. Whether you are an entrepreneur or otherwise changemaker yourself, a citizen who loves their community with a passion and wants to see it thrive, whether you are a mentor, investor, support organization, advisor, philanthropic funder, economic developer, or policymaker, Learn the practical tools and proven tactics of ecosystem builders from all around the world to better support the dreamers, doers, tinkerers, and makers in your community by taking a systems approach to social change. I'm your host, Annika Horn. I recently moved to Stanton, Virginia to help convene the entrepreneurial ecosystem in the Shenandoah Valley. If you've been listening to the show for a while, you already know this. I waited out the pandemic in Chapel Hill, North Carolina with some contract work and a whole lot of time for research, writing, and publishing about ecosystem building. When the opportunity arose to join Debbie Irwin and her team at the Shenandoah Community Capital Fund, or as we call it, SCCF, I jumped at it. I hadn't worked in the field for a few years, and I was eager to roll up my sleeves and work as a practitioner again. After all, I had a few years of research and roundtables behind me that I was keen to implement and test out. I had all the enthusiasm. The Shenandoah Valley is a rural region of about 523,000 people across 10 counties. Aside from the mountains, it's actually not that different from where I grew up in East Germany. A lot of cows, fields and tractors, a tight-knit community and a healthy dose of skepticism against people who weren't from here even though they moved there 10 or 15 years ago. When I started working with SCCF full-time in March of 2022, I clearly wasn't from here. I mean, I was still living in North Carolina, a fact that wouldn't change until July 2022. I don't have to tell you that it's near impossible to convene and nurture an ecosystem remotely, but I did the best I could knowing that we would be local as soon as we could find a house. 
I got a list of ecosystem accomplices from Debbie and started making the rounds virtually. I had north of 20 one-on-one meetings to get to know local stakeholders and start building those relationships. I knew that if we wanted to collaborate to better support entrepreneurs in the Valley, I would want to know what everyone was doing, their mission, their experiences, their perspectives and ideas. Kudos to everyone who said yes and gave me some of their time. A lot of this process was made a ton easier every time I dropped Debbie's name in the conversation or even better when she made the initial introduction. Fact of the matter is, Debbie has been a keystone in this ecosystem for years. She was here when things were early stage. She was here when things were tough. She was working with these accomplices to build most of what exists today. She's been to their birthday parties, their kids' birthday parties, and has most accomplices' phone numbers on speed dial. In other words, Debbie has a boatload of social capital in the Shenandoah Valley. And I realized quickly that if I wanted to be of help, my years of research and insights were, you know, all good and valid. But what I truly needed more than anything was my own social capital. I wanted to build up relationships and trust with everyone I was going to work with in the Valley so that we could build enough trust to be able to collaborate toward a shared vision of the Valley as a thriving rural entrepreneurial ecosystem. Robert D. Putnam defines social capital as, quote, connections among individuals, social networks, and the norms of reciprocity and trustworthiness that arise from them. Okay, this may not blow anyone's mind, but I've become super intrigued with this idea of social capital over the course of 2022 for at least three reasons. Number one, the definition of ecosystem building that I've based much of my work on is that developed by the Kaufman Foundation. To remind you, the essence of an entrepreneurial ecosystem is its people and a culture of trust and collaboration that allows them to interact successfully. An ecosystem that allows for the fast flow of talent, information and resources helps entrepreneurs quickly find what they need at each stage of growth. As a result, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. The first reason I'm so fascinated by the idea of social capital is just that. How do we build this culture of trust and collaboration within our ecosystems so that we might look beyond individual agendas and focus on that what is best for entrepreneurs? My hypothesis here is that trust among stakeholders is what allows us to work together without elaborate contracts and enforcement mechanisms. As we learned in Season 2, this is in fact the only way we can navigate and influence a complex adaptive system. Hey there! While we're chatting about all things ecosystem building, I wanted to invite you over to socialventurers.com, where you can find even more content and insights into what we're talking about. And if you want to be the first one to hear about new episodes, get some behind-the-scenes content, and you could use a heartfelt reminder that what you do matters, sign up for Impact Curator. Impact Curator is my curated love letter to our community that hits your inbox every two weeks. And now, back to the show. My second hypothesis is that we need social capital and deep trust in our networks to be able to work through conflict. Breaking news, every time different humans are trying to work on something together, such as building an ecosystem, conflict is just part of the deal. We may share the same vision for our community, but I guarantee you we all have our own ideas of how to get there. And what's worse, we often think that our capital T truth is everyone else's truth as well. This type of conflict is perfectly normal and actually healthy. 
especially if you're bringing a diverse group of people together, as you should as an ecosystem builder. What is often not so healthy is how we try to resolve these conflicts. I will admit that I'm extremely conflict avoidant because that's just how I was raised. I simply don't have the tools, skills, and practice to work through conflict. Instead, I take everything 100% personally and feel attacked when conflict arises. I didn't say I had this figured out, which is in part why we're having this season. But I'm also learning that conflict management is kind of like a sport you can still learn to play in your mid-30s once you understand the rules and get some of the practice in. Still, how utterly uncomfortable. In this season, I want to learn from my guests how their social capital enables them to work through conflict. The third reason I want to talk about social capital is that most ecosystem builders I know are inherently good at building and maintaining that social capital mostly without even being aware of it. I believe it is a character trait that ecosystem builders enjoy being in community and nurturing relationships with entrepreneurs and entrepreneurial supporters, champions, and cheerleaders. I want to find out how they build the social capital and use it to improve the system within which they operate. In her book, Social Chemistry, Marissa King digs deeper into decoding the patterns of human connections. She introduces three archetypes of networks and people that operate in networks. Number one, expansionists are people that have really, really large networks that are well-known and have this uncanny ability to work the room. We all know this person who walks into a room and effortlessly talks with everyone and anyone. It just, he or she's just a social butterfly. With that being said, they don't often manage to maintain all of those social ties. The second archetype is that of a broker. Brokers are known for bringing together parties that otherwise are fairly disconnected, which leads to very high levels of innovation. The third archetype is that of a convener. Conveners have very dense networks in which their friends are also friends, which leads to deeper levels of trust in these networks. And side note here, building social capital is not a matter of being an intro or extrovert. It really comes down to the quality of your relationships. Among the guests I've interviewed for the show so far, I would say we have a 50-50 split between introverts and extroverts. And just a little reminder, as with all categorizations, neither one of us fits neatly into just a single box. It really depends on the context and the situations we find ourselves in. A recent MIT study looked at 20 million LinkedIn profiles and determined that weak ties connections we would refer to as acquaintances, are most likely to help you find a new job because their networks don't overlap as much with yours as your strong ties. So depending on what you need as a systemic doer, community builder, mentor, social entrepreneur, ecosystem builder, or change maker, it pays off to play to your strength as an expansionist, broker, or convener. If you want to learn more about the strength of weak ties, I recommend Granovetter's work, The Strength of Weak Ties. Let's look a little closer at network size and strength. The number of people in our networks is actually relatively fixed. It's called the Dunbar number. I learned this from Marissa King. The average person, if such a thing exists, has about 150 stable contacts that we can maintain. And that is no accident. Villages and modern hunter-gatherer societies had an average group size of 148.4. So at right around 150 people, most of us have a circle of stable connections that we actually keep in touch with. Likewise, your amount of social capital is also relatively fixed. It comes down to time investment. 
outside of sleep, work, household, family, and time for yourself, most of us have very limited time to spend within our community. If you spend this time across many, many people, these connections will be less deep than if you spent them with the same five people. I hope you enjoyed this little discourse into the strength of weak ties. In season four, I want to introduce you to ecosystem builders who are able to build trust and manage through conflict in their communities. I have a hunch that they can share some war stories and tell us how their roles as expansionists, brokers, and conveners have helped them break down barriers and work across silos. I hope that by the end of the season, we have a better idea on how to build trust, deepen and expand our relationships, and become just a little bit better at managing conflict and productivity. I'll see you back here next week for our first guest. Until then, thanks for everything that you do. Annika. I pay my respect to the traditional custodians of the land on which I work and live, the Monakan, Shamandasetula, and Manahok people. I recognize their continuing connection to land, water, and community. I pay respect to elders past, present, and emerging. This episode was produced by Yellow House Media.